Clay, we made it to this episode of Star Trek Enterprise The Forgotten, which is apparently a backdoor pilot to the Orville because mm-hmm. Seth MacFarlane makes an appearance here. Honestly, in a um, watching it was funny because you see him and you're like, hey, it's Seth MacFarlane. I didn't know he was going to show up. And there he is. And he's getting yelled at by Trip in this episode. And it felt it had a... It had undercover boss energy to me where, you know, undercover boss is a reality show on Fox or something where he's like, I'm a billionaire founder and CEO of this trillion dollar company. I need to know what my employees are going to think about me. So I'll put on this horrible wig and pretend to be a janitor and sidle up to people and say, hey, what do you think of the CEO? Is he a good guy? And and the employees will give um, gentle but fair criticism on camera and then you'll kind of go back to it. But it felt weird to see... uh, Multi, multi, multi millionaire Seth MacFarlane being yelled at by Connor Trenier, <laughs> and he's not doing a good enough <laughs> job. And it's like it was a little bit of a, a self flagellation moment or something for uh, Seth MacFarlane, who's a big Star Trek fan. Was he, was he multi, multi millionaire Seth MacFarlane at this point, or was he just oh, that, that's a good point. Po- popular Star Trek fan who's, well, he probably did have multi million dollars at this point, but Ooh, I what he didn't have, what he didn't have, I don't think, is a second take. Because that wasn't the best <laughs> line reading from him I've ever heard. <laughs> it's a complicated shot because the camera's moving. There's no time. to. They're not going to redo that thing. That's a good yeah. question. I would think by 2004, just to guess, Family Guy might have come back for after its first cancellation by that point. So he's he's yeah. he's been paid, I, so. I would assume, yeah. around then. But he's, yeah, I guess maybe I am imprinting uh, current Seth MacFarlane onto past Star Trek Enterprise appearing Seth MacFarlane. Well, it was a big, uh, a big few years for Star Trek cameos because they had uh, what was it? Was it Nemesis that had uh, Brian Singer shows up for a hot second as the ship's exploding or something? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. There's yep. always there's always one person who shows up in the background. That you go, oh, that guy. The Rock is in one of the Voyager episodes. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's not a cameo. That's just him trying to get work. Yeah, that's. <laughs> He, he was he was just Dwayne Struggling. Johnson trying to shake off the stink of the WWE at that point. And then who else? Oh, like the Prince of Jordan is in either a Voyager or Enterprise episode, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, he's a big Star Trek <laughs> fan, so they got him in there. But yeah, it is. Anyway, let's get to uh, The Forgotten, which is the episode we're about to talk about. We'll take a break. We'll play a clip from the episode. We'll come back, and we'll break it down. Dameron. Friend of yours. A colleague of sorts. They're the ones we found on Earth in the past. And this is the result of your finding them. They were about to release a bioweapon that would have decimated the population. Reptilians felt a toxin would be more effective on your species. Dameron and his team disappeared shortly after the Council rejected his proposal. Apparently, they decided to go ahead without your Council's approval. But fortunately, you were able to stop them by traveling back through time. I already told you, we had help, just like they did. This proves nothing. How do we know he didn't capture them in the present? You need more evidence. The Forgotten is the 20th episode of the third season of Star Trek Enterprise. came out on April 28th, 2004. 21 out of 28 in the Zindi Crisis arc, written by Chris Black and David A. Goodman, directed by LeVar Burton in Universe State, not known specifically. It's 2154. In this episode, The Forgotten, two members of the Zindi Council offer to stop the launch of the weapon if Archer can prove that the Zindi have been manipulated. The crew holds a memorial for their dead shipmates. Quick question. You said 21 out of 28 in the Zindi arc? Mm -hmm. Does that mean the Zindi arc extends into season four it must there must be some aspect 28 of is a long season for uh for for tv i can't imagine it's uh we have four let me say here maybe, maybe because i can answer this is there a episode is there a season four do 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 aftermath yes they're gonna con- they're gonna consider some season four episodes to be part of the zindi arc even oh, though okay. Okay. I'm fairly sure that what we're considering to be the Zindi arc will wrap up by that gotcha. point. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so let's go back here. The Forgotten, now that we got that out of the way, which is a good question because we only have four episodes left after this one, I think, uh, in this season. This is The Forgotten, which reminds me of a couple other episodes of, Ironically. DS, of DS9, I think. I'll never forget. 
uh, Children of Time a little bit and no, not Children of Time. I'm sorry. Um, Sound of Her Voice, the the one where the crew hears the lost recording or something like that and goes out and sure. they're sort of like contemplating where they stand in the Dominion Wars. They're going to find this woman who's been dead for a hundred years and they've been talking to an echo of the past or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just reminds me of that because of how contemplative it is. But I really liked The Forgotten. In an intro- I, this is one of the few en- Enterprise episodes where after it was over, I thought about it for like 20 minutes. It was like, wow, yeah. what the hell is going on there? That was, that was kind of fascinating. And for good reasons and bad, but it's probably like 90% good, 10% like strange, like what the hell was going on there. So I'll start off with the 10% strange. Is, was Tripp's arc across this season... Is this a brilliant save at the end, or was this the plan the entire time? Um, it feels like it feels like a save, but it doesn't feel like it's. I don't. I don't know if save is the right word because I. I don't think that he had a definable arc so much as just the way that his character was acting this season i it's not so much of an arc if it's an arc most of that curve happens in the last this episode i think yeah uh so maybe that counts as a save i don't know but like like it doesn't it doesn't feel like um it doesn't have the same feeling as the t'pol stuff does where it's like they clearly decided to just take a left turn in order to tie some loose ends up or something and it doesn't you know for for better or worse this feels like it's a natural episode given or natural story for him given the shit that he's been going through. Um, and it it does feel a little bit like someone was like, hey, we're getting to the end of the season. Let's use some of that trip stuff we've been laying the groundwork for. Yeah. But I don't think this was like the planned endpoint or anything like that. So I think it's. I don't know if I would call it a save, but I think it's I think it's definitely probably wasn't uh wasn't the intended endpoint for his for his arc. But I think it's I think the I the trip stuff was great. I yeah. thought it was really good. Well I, I asked because I think this is the case. I can't say this with hundred percent assurance, but I'm pretty sure that Manny Cotto is essentially show running at this point. Where he he's mm-hmm. he's come in, he's had a couple scripts. And what it feels like to me is that and I was having a conversation with listener Kyle about this on the Discord, but Kodo is going to be interesting because what Kodo is going to do for the remainder of the series that he runs is he fixes problems. He's going to say, these are the things that are weird about this show, and I'm going to have a season where I just kind of fix all of this, and I say that Mm -hmm. these were the reasons why these things are happening. It feels to me like what you were saying is what he did, where he got to the end, he came in halfway through the season, he got to this point, he goes, didn't you guys bring up Tripp's sister? For some reason, right. they go, yeah, yeah, we did. He goes, well, what was the plan there? They go, I don't know. We just we brought it up and then we kind of forgot about it. He's like, well, we have to pay it off somehow. I think that the problem with it is the thing that I went back to, which I kind of identified off on the fly last episode that we talked about, but I've been thinking about it more, is that while Enterprise has managed to get its plot narrative structure okay this season, its character mm-hmm. serialization has been terrible across this, yeah. se- this season. Yeah, it's I been mostly... It's been mostly an episodic take on character work where characters just ping pong back and forth between whether or not they remember something happened or they didn't. And so mm. Tripp's trauma is brought up and then it's completely forgotten for like 14 episodes. He, he barely mentions this. It has no impact on what he does. It's not impacting his job. It's not impacting anything. And then they, in my opinion, they save it in this episode with his plot line in this one is maybe my favorite Enterprise plot that's ever happened. Yeah. I was like, this is yeah. actually really good. Like... It's again, it's more of the sort of quote, I'll call it melodrama, but I don't mean it insultingly. It's, it's a heightened dramatic take on this material that in other episodes where they've done this, I've similarly been like, this is good. I like this. I wish Enterprise did more of this. And this one is not melodrama. I think it's really appropriate, nicely done, well acted, well written. Like everything comes together for Tripp's storyline here. It's touching. It's kind of sad by the end of it. You care about this this engineer that you never met before. You're like, oh, this is a tragedy for everybody. This is a horrible thing. And it, they actually nailed it. I didn't think the show was capable of nailing this kind of stuff. And they did in this episode, at least, for Tripp's storyline. 
Yeah, and I think they use it to good effect with the uh, overarching um, Degra storyline. It's Degra, right? Degra, yeah, Degra. Degra. Uh, Degra storyline too, where they've they've planted the seeds of his uh, uh, reservations about about what they're doing and 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 all that kind of stuff, and then they pay that off with having Trip and him meet and have a scene where Trip, you know, gets gets all the way up to the line without actually throwing a punch at the guy, mm-hmm. and that and leaving an impression on Degra and having him have that great line as he's on the way out being like, I never expected to actually meet one of you people. Right. You know, like, <laughs> I, it's yeah. really good. I yeah. think it works really, really well. I honestly, I think it saves the Degra story more than it saves the trip story. Oh, interesting. Because the trip stuff, they've been kind of playing with it. And I feel like this is a, a fairly natural payoff. This one, the Degra stuff has always been kind of like rushed for me. Um, like you know, like we've said a million times, we don't really get enough time with the Zindi to really buy any of this face turn from them. And having that scene where you've got a couple a couple scenes in 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 there already of him kind of turning and kind of having experiences that might change his mind or his perspective, and then to to throw Trip in there and actually have that confrontation i think works really well i think it's a really smart really smart place to do it too yeah it's way better like that stuff you know you, you're saying this is like would you say 90 90 great 10 percent weird yeah and not even weird just t- it's 10 percent enterprise ticks that i'm like oh that's an yeah. enterprise problem and and not to spoil anything but this episode is not perfect and i don't think it's an all-timer but it's one of mm-hmm. the best enterprise episodes that i've seen and that's because 90 yeah. percent of it is functional and works yeah, and I I would agree, and I and I where I was going was uh, it's way more effective in telling me or showing how Degra might be changing his mind than <laughs> the fifteen minutes they spend with Archer trying to prove time travel to these guys, <laughs> which is some of the dumbest shit I've ever seen. Like, thank God they had the the mind had the 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 had it in mind. To have one of the guys, one of the, the the Zindi guys, just being like, you haven't proved anything at every turn. Because yeah. it's like every single scene I'm thinking the same thing. And by the third time, I was like, what are they doing? Yeah. Why? This this shows like the inherent problem, larger, l- larger scale, with how they've handled the time travel stuff, and Daniels in particular. Daniels is, because, Daniels is the big problem with this, where Archer, yeah. for some reason, can't mention Daniels for no good reason, right. really. Or he can't, you know... Can't summon him. Yeah, look around yeah. and go, Daniels could really use your help right now. <laughs> you know, like, and uh, the fact the fact that uh, Daniels has actually told Archer what is going to happen, yeah. I feel like ends up being a huge crutch, because now Archer is trying to tell these guys what is going to happen. And it's instead of instead of instead of putting Archer in a position where he has to build this coalition through actual interaction and with the Zindi and good faith and and all of the things that you would build a, a strong coalition on, he's just swinging for the fence, going like, "Listen, guys, time travel. A guy from the future told me we're going to be best friends. Yeah, how can I prove it?" Well, I have this cup that says best friends on it. It's from the future. No, it's not. How do we can't tell that it's from the future? Okay, well, if that doesn't work, I've got an itty bitty amount of the smallpox virus in here, which everybody knows in the future won't exist, but I got it from the past. Right. It's like, what is happening? It's just that stuff is so lame, but yep. almost everything else in the episode is good. I'm I'm not totally sure if they are completely hand waving the T'Pol stuff like I thought they were going to, but it feels like that's the way they're going. Yes. I'll get to T'Pol in a second, but for the, you're you're right about the Archer stuff where it's kind of funny that a one thing as he, as he was going like, well, if door number one didn't blow your brains out, then how about door number two? (laughs) He was over here. He's like the worst game show host of all time, but he's also, um, his, a, the funny thing was like, well, I guess it is kind of hard to prove that you've time traveled to somebody. Like, there's sure. no really good yeah. way to do that. Very difficult. And the other thing is that 
it was another point of it felt like a writer coming in at the end and saying, what happened to those dead reptilians, Zindi, that we had? Why has no that one was, ever said that they were in cold storage for this yeah, entire that time? Was, that was, I said that in the episode, I think. I was like, so don't they have three dead bodies now? Yes. Yeah, at that, some point in the past. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so strange. And like, I, I, I just found myself going like, how come he can't call Daniels? How come he doesn't just take them directly to Daniels' room? And when he does, all he does is show him the weapon that was built. Was that even Daniels' modern... room? I think he locked. I thought, sh- well, it had that. It had the little the the seal thing on it. It did, which but... I, I assumed was Daniels' room. Well, I thought I thought that too because they they open the establishing shot as a close up on that lock, and I'm like, oh, of course mm-hmm. he's going to bring him to Daniels. But when they cut out, it looks like they're in a shuttle bay, and he's locked a locker oh, in the in the maybe. shuttle bay, and is like storing this thing in there. Um, Regardless, it's like. <laughs> He shows them the thing that was actually the thing from the time that they currently yeah. are in. Yeah. It's not like it's not like it's a it, a virus gun that was built with <laughs> Toyota Prius parts, you know? This <laughs> generic gray circle machine looks like it could be Zindi, but who can tell? It's such a yeah. it's a broad universe. The only other thing is I thought you were going to say about Daniel's where Daniel's explaining the future war in that previous episode. My whole thing was the problem with that, why I think that that is so destructive to what Archer's trying to do here is because Archer Daniels can no longer hide behind, I can't tell you anything. Be, like right. I can't just show up on a whim and prove to these people right. that I'm a time traveler because it'll have lasting implications for things. He's been telling Archer everything. So there's no, right. there's no reason why Archer can't just be like, Daniels, Daniels, can you come over here and show these people what you've been telling me about? There's no reason that that can't happen or that you don't get distracted by that. So yeah. I agree that that's if, the weak part of it. If that's on the table, there's no reason why Daniels can't step in right. at that point yep. and explain everything to the Zindi as much as he explained it to Archer. Yeah. Because you've already shattered the space-time continuum and created some sort of paradox we'll, by telling Archer what's going to happen. So We'll get the Archer stuff out of the way. I, I find the Archer storyline to not be... Uh, knock my socks off, but I think it was maybe the most competent plot line they've done in an episode that has to do with the Zindi because I thought everything worked mm-hmm. and I thought that it was believable. The only minor problem I have is that I understand that Archer's running a sort of, not a con, but he, as to Paul says, he has to convince Degra that he's trustworthy and not lying. So like when Trip goes like, Danny, you killed everybody in Florida and then Archer has to step in and say like, Trip, step back, step back, bud. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Degra. <laughs> Nobody likes Florida. <laughs> Did us a favor. Yeah. Um, Archer's, I, I still feel a little bit of the character inconsistency at this point with Archer, where it's that episodic thing instead of a serial thing. Like he's he's on Degra's side now. And I understand he's had the most right. interaction with Degra and stuff, but he really turned in a way that almost feels like it happened off screen. You know, he never had a Degra moment where because there was that episode where he was tricking him and now it's in this episode. I just felt like Archer got to a place where he was defending Degra a little bit too much, even though I mm-hmm. understand the reason as to why that's happening. But outside of Archer's inconsistency, I thought that um, I thought that this was totally functional and enjoyable and illuminating in character work. Like it wasn't the most illuminating, but at least everything that happened in here, I wasn't sitting there going... Yeah, all right. Like he's going to talk to Degra now. This is the de- the convincing scene. It all felt enjoyably watchable in a way that sometimes yeah. Enterprise doesn't. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. that's faint praise, but it does work. Is it, what I consider to be the lesser storyline of these two. It's functional and it doesn't de- detract from the trip storyline in any way, which is all I think that it needs to do to be good. Yeah, it it just it just bugs me so much though because they spend the whole season uh, tiptoeing around this theme of like how far is what what is archer willing to do he's you know uh, playing with uh are, are is your enemy evil or is your enemy the same as you they're playing with all these things like these interesting themes or at least they're trying to play with them and then you get to the payoff of all that stuff and they just undercut it by having him just explain the future Sure. Like, there's nothing interesting. Like, there's no. You don't even have a chance for that uh, um, pale moonlight Cisco stuff because it's all undercut because it's just him explaining the future. And so instead of instead of having this moment where these two, 
you know, Degra has to, the, the Zindi has to figure out whether or not they can trust Archer, and Archer has to figure out whether or not he can trust the Zindi, and like whether or not he's going to tell the truth, or if they're telling, you know, all that kind of shit. It's just like, like you're saying, he just trusts them. Yeah. Because he has no, there's nothing behind him other than this is this is how the story ends. You need to help me get to the story where the end of the story where everybody lives and not everybody dies. So like there's, you know what I mean? There's not, they've taken, I feel like they've taken a lot of the drama out of it. Yeah. Um, that being said, I agree. I think it's, it's totally fine. It's totally functional and it's, I think it is fun to watch and, and, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy the, the Wolfman, um, <laughs> not believing anything. Yeah. I mean, to, to your point about, um, the flimsiness of this, I think is again, what we kind of identified in one of the past episodes where the entire, the entire plot hinges on just convincing the Zindi that the information they have is bad, you know. Right, there, there's right. nothing else on that. So, in order to stretch this problem out, you just have to have an ever increasing uh, sequence of scenes where they just don't believe him. You know, it's like, well, right. this, this is exactly. okay, but yeah. this is this is not this is not 100 percent proof. I'm not going to buy into this. So, it's just the it's the flimsiness to recap of the Zindi and the humans don't have an actual disagreement with each other. They don't fundamentally disagree with each other. The reason they're fighting is because the Zindi believe a lie or are not convinced of the truth in the way that Archer knows the truth to be. So the entire conflict just stems from Archer having to convince somebody of something. And it's not even something that is like an ethical convincing argument. It's a time travel argument. He has, right, he has exactly. no narrative yeah. story that he can tell them that's interesting. It's only whether or not time travel exists. And that's just right. really weak for that storyline to fall yeah. apart. Uh, not fall apart, but all that that plot has is that on it. And I think that they tempered a bit with nice Degra scenes. Degra being mm-hmm. allowed to be a character is kind of what saves that stuff because otherwise it would yeah. be wretched. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I think the trip stuff is what makes any of it workable at all. Is because trip, like I said, trip trips that scene with trip does more work on Degra than I think any of the time travel stuff does. Right. And the only the only way I can see them making me come around on on what they're doing with Archer and how they're playing this out is if after all of this explaining the future stuff that they're just kind of going like, uh, I mean, we're probably past this point, you know, once. Once Degra blows up a, a Zindi ship, I feel like, you know, he's switched sides. Yeah. But um, I feel like the only thing that could save it is, <clears throat> for me, is after all of this explaining of giving them facts about the future, even if even if they're not believing it, the way that he gets them to be on their side is by lying to them. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that would be interesting, you know, because it's like, they talk about how the humans are good at deception and stuff, and he's trying to be straight with them. He's trying to give it to them, and it's not working. So he has to bend the rules a little bit, and he has to, you know, he runs play out dirty of time. Pool. Yeah, it runs yeah. out of time and has to do something drastic about it. Less drastic than throwing a guy out of an airlock or whatever, but he has to. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. I think that they've undercut that by saying that the Zindi become Federation members in the future. Like I could see if that was not mm. the case, if, if Daniel said, said some cryptic thing about like the Zindi do not become members of the Federation, I could be like, oh, it's because Archer poisoned the well here to say. Well, I think I, I'm thinking something like that. He lies to them in a way that they don't, there's no way they could really find out the truth unless he told them. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Delete that personal log of the pale moonlight. Yeah, something something like that. Yeah, where it's, you know, it's not going to stop the progress of the future because, you know, unless he decides to tell the truth, there's nobody's going to know. Right. Um, But yeah, you might be getting a little bit too close to Deep Space Nine there, but hey, not a bad place to be. Yeah, certainly for this show. But yeah, it's it's strange to me that this has ended up playing out this way. Um, I mean, it plays out in retrospect exactly. Like the uh, the war in the Middle East with, with after nine eleven, yeah, <laughs> a bed of lies that we've made for ourselves to sleep in. We just tried. We tried to explain to them for years that we had information from the future, and we just wouldn't <laughs> trust me. And now Rumsfeld streaming is- video is going to be huge. <laughs> 
And now Rumsfeld is dead, and he was the one who knew the time. He was travel the only one who, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's tragedy. Um, that's pretty much it for the Archer stuff. I will. I think that this episode is well acted, and that uh, that goes to the Degra stuff too. I don't think Degra is a particularly great character, really. I'm not going to walk. I don't think there's any way you can walk away from this season going like, "Wow, Degra." That's a Goldicott right. yeah, one point, one B yeah. or something like that. It's like it's, that's not going to really happen. But they're all very effective, and little moments which I maybe are probably scripted. I would assume the the moment where he trip yells at him after the um we'll get this up after the incredibly pointless scene where Reed and Trip go out and fix the geyser of green goo that's coming out <laughs> yes. of the ship, and Reed hyperventilates yeah. or whatever and has to be taken in. Yeah, after yep. Trip comes in. That scene's completely pointless. There's no reason for that scene to exist in this episode, um, which is another problem. But after Trip comes in, he yells at Degra again. And Degra doesn't say anything to him, and he leaves. And as he gets to the door, he pauses for a second. You think, oh, he's going to turn around and say something. But then he just walks out, which is a much better thing, I think, than having him turn around and say something. But it's got little moments like that. Um, The Trip thing is the meat and potatoes of it, though. And what I love about the Trip storyline is... Connor Trenier is clearly the best actor of this ensemble, I think. Yeah, he killed, um, he, he's great in this episode. Really good. Really devastates Bacula as Archer, I think. Like in, yeah, in, in, yeah. In, in, in comparison, there's just no, there is no comparison between the two, but he's excellent. I love this very cinematic, I don't know if there's a better word, like not visually, but there's like a very cinematic thing to me of using the letter as a way to get to the core of what he's feeling about like that, that, sure. that feels more complicated and interesting than what Star Trek usually does. Certainly Star Trek enterprise uh, normally does. Mm-hmm. I really like that. I, I even liked his incredibly literal dream sequence. <laughs> Where he, yes. meets, he meets the, the girl and she's like, are you thinking about me? He's like, yes. She's like, no, you're not. You're thinking about your dead mm. sister. He goes, you're, you're, you're damn right. You're, you're damn right. My dead sister. Um, Could I, you imagine being in his position and having to write a letter home to your coworker talking about the fact that they had died and using voice to text on your iPhone I know. to do it? Hopefully he goes in and cleans that up a little bit because there's gonna- the only <laughs> the only thing I was thinking at the end after that really poignant le- you get to see the letter and whatever he puts down the picture of his sister and he and he like pats it what's his sister's name Elizabeth I think and he like pats it and he's like that was for you Elizabeth or whatever he says the only thing I could think was that's in the letter. <laughs> You didn't say stop recording. <laughs> the little Siri icon is still glowing. The little glowing yeah. globe is still spinning in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> I like, um, I also thought, yeah, I think the voice to text is a very funny way for them to do it. But uh, I, I just liked this plot. This is everything mm-hmm. that I think, Enter- this is what the, this is what enterprise does. Well, consistently is this stuff. And I think that this kind of character work, really works as a prequel. I think it's a huge, huge problem that Enterprise never saw this early and never adapted to this and said that this show exists in these small, like melodramatic moments of early humanity where everything is kind of overly emotional about stuff, like in context to where Star Trek becomes. Our early adventures in space are less about the scientific problem solving and more about like the emotional problem solving of what's going mm-hmm. on out there because they always do well with it. I think uh, Trenier does like his best work that he's done on the show in this episode. The scene with him and Paul is fantastic. That's like really good. good. That's like yeah. good in terms of Star Trek because that's like a wonderful Vulcan and human conversation to have in this yeah, prequel yeah. stuff. It's just, it all even works. Though, even though the Vulcan in the situation is like, the, got the, got watery eyes. Got the, the, yeah. The, the ass, the acid <laughs> jaw shiver thing. Um, yeah. I, that scene, the closest I've ever come, at least in this series to tearing up. Yeah. I, I thought he was just killed it really, really good. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I, and I think that, what makes it even better is that imagine if that if this episode had built off of earlier episodes in the season, 
I think this is like an all timer in some ways. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. it's operating only within itself, which is a problem. Is both a pro and a con in some ways, but I think that mm-hmm. it damages the long Zindi story because it's hard to get to this point and not remember the fact that a they haven't brought up the sister in a while. Like the you know, to Paul's drug addiction is really not a good thing that they decided to do. Yeah. But when you get here and it's done well, you still have to go like, well, the show can do it when the show wants to do things. Yeah, it's there's a certain point where it's almost like, you know, backstage you're seeing, Manny, there's a certain way we deal with Tripp's loss of his <laughs> sister here. And it's by putting his hands all over to Paul. And it's, oh, my God, it's amazing. So if we could keep that up, that would be great. And then Manny's like, yeah, yeah, we could, you know, deal with this like, two humans or you know actual character work but as long as their shirts are off do whatever you want as uh, Ber- berman takes the uh the mr burns he's like brennan fire this man <laughs> he says man doesn't work for us mr. Burns. um brent brennan brennan where's where's brennan <laughs> smoking a cigarette looking out the window um I, I guess it's worth sticking on the T'Pol and Trip thing for a while, just because it is it is the the rest of it is well done, but it's mostly Trip sort of battling about the letter. Do you have anything else? Do you have anything to say about the letter as a construct or the letter as a um, a device that the story uses to get its point across? Uh, no, I think it's good. I, it's uh, you know I, I it's not the first time I've seen that kind yeah. of convention used, but I thought they used it re- really well. Um, you know, I I thought they just did a really good job of of showing Trip and his mental state and how everything is kind of go. He's got all these things that are going on. He's trying to work on the ship, but he hasn't slept in two days, and now he's got to write this goddamn letter. Yeah, like I thought that stuff worked really, really well. And and yeah, even the dream was kind of like you said, it was very literal, but I thought it worked pretty well. Um, and yeah, I thought the letter was was good because it gives you something. It gives you like an anchor point for all this stuff that you can keep kind of checking in on. Yeah. Where it's you know, his progress starts it. Yeah, yeah, the progress. Ah, it's not working at the beginning. And then you come back to it a couple minutes later, and he's got like kind of figuring it out, but it's still too hard. But he can't figure out why it's hard, too hard for him yet, which is nice. So there's like a little there's an arc built into the story, which you know you you'd hope there would be. You'd hope, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it worked really well. It's it's uh, time travel stuff aside. It's probably my favorite episode of the season. Yeah, yeah. close if not very close if not. I I even find his. Um, I think his final, what the letter turns out to be, which is the final scene where he's doing the voiceover or at least saying it or whatever it was. I can't really remember. Um, I thought it was maybe the best bit of writing on the show that mm. it's done in terms of a writing aspect. Of- I I was impressed that they that they had him do it because Actually there was a part the, of the me, letter. Yeah, yeah. There was a part of me that was thinking it was going to do one of those things where they like, where he starts with the beginning and then they kind of like fade out as he's getting into it yeah. and leave it up to you. I was impressed that they actually were like, no, we're going to write this letter and he's going to read it and it's going to be great. Yeah. No, it, it was good. I was, um, uh, it is emotional. It's like, uh, he's talking about, um, like a life just being gone at a certain point. Mm. I was thinking about my yeah. kids. It's like, it's all very, it's like, oh, this is actually like, this is emotionally interesting in a way that this show hardly ever is. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and that, yeah. that alone makes it stick out. I, just, I think it was really well done. Uh, the trip into Paul stuff. The reason why I like trip into Paul is I guess we, we can check in with Tapal. So Tapal's drug addiction seems like her cold Turkey approach is going to go. Okay. Except she can't, get back to normal at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um I don't really know what the point of this is because is this scene more effective with Tapal as a Vulcan? It is. Probably. Right? Yeah. 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 She Blaylock's in a tough place because I think she plays it that way. She plays it the most controlled Tapal has been in about four or five episodes, I think, during that. Like she's she's emotional clearly, but it's not when the ship was under attack and she's like, get the fuck out of my room or what it was. There was, there was at least a, they were trying to revert her back to this Vulcan thing where trip, the emotional human is crying about something and she's affected by it, but is still in control and isn't sobbing mm-hmm. with him. And I think that was yeah. the right way to do it. 
I just think it, you know, for what we talked about, what this series is supposed to do is like a prequel for everything. That felt to me like this is the first great human Vulcan scene together. Yeah. I think it's the only one that's ever worked. The rest of these scenes in Enterprise have been a bunch of numbskulls yelling at each other. And it's like, this is, this is not good. Like, and now imagine that scene, not just if she's a normal Vulcan, but if she's to Paul, who has been having these emotional changes in a more natural way, like like we were talking about last Os- osmosis by hanging out with humans yeah. too much instead of instead of just a hangover from freebase, yeah. <laughs> you know, like then then you know it, it has, and you've watched this progression happen. You've watched her change and. You've got this moment where all that comes to a head where she's like, you know, I, I'm not used to this stuff. The, the reason that we do this is because if we get these emotions, we would all go crazy. Yeah. So you're actually I actually envy you that, that humans can control this stuff to a certain extent. Yes. Like that would that would be fantastic. But unfortunately, it's got this stanky drug. Addict yeah. Thing and, and to be fair, that is it. that is what they do. It's just tainted by her state of right. mind. currently. Right. So yes. it is like, yeah, I really do love the point of the Vulcans which is in complete contrast to her taking drugs to chase the emotional dragon is her just going like, you know, Vulcans, we are this way because we were killing ourselves because of how emotional we were. So we chose this life of no emotion as a way to escape that. And we are envious of you being able to actually experience it and live a normal life at the same time. Mm. That's just, that's like profound for this show. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not um, Plato or, or, or Aristotle or anything, but it's like um, for Enterprise, that's like A plus material. Oh, man. Drug stuff is so <laughs> depressing. Because I was just thinking, like, imagine even if you track back to the episode where the, with the zombie Vulcans who are, who've all gone crazy because of the, with the trillium, trillium trachy, D. Trillium D uh, is, is making them hyper emotional and driving them insane. Like, what if instead of what if instead of that being a jumping off point for a drug addiction plot line, it's T'Pol sees these other Vulcans who are maybe I'm thinking of a different episode. Well, there was, was is that the same episode where like there there's the the other Vulcan dude who's like an outcast because he's really into emotions. No, that's in the first season. That's uh, oh, that's the first yeah, season. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Well, anyway. Same same idea. Like, what what if in that episode, that's the the the, the set off for her thing, where she sees a she sees someone who is so, uh, she sees a Vulcan who is so desperately wants to be taken over by emotion that she is like, well, there's got to be a reason. There's got to be a logical explanation for why he would want to do this. Yeah. And that kind of is what allows her to open up a little bit and and start taking the stuff in naturally, and it comes to a head here. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. No. Agreed. Nope. Got to chase that dragon. <laughs> do Do you have anything else? Did you Did I miss anything? Uh, anything um, you want to talk about? We talked about the geyser. That's just a pointless scene. Um, so strange that they do that. It, it sort of ties into the uh, the earlier thing with Seth MacFarlane is that the ship is in such a bad state that Trip can't take any time off. This feels like a mm-hmm. over overly dramatic need for that where he's like god damn it the ship's blowing up on the outside i I read it more uh, because i was as i was watching and i was thinking i was like what the hell are they why are they spending time on this and it wasn't until they got back with that kind of explained to me why they did it i think the the point of that scene is for degra to see uh the humans actually in action putting themselves in harm's way to help each other and then to be, you know, uh, helped by other, like it, it's, it's for Degra's sake. It's not I, for our sake. I thought that too, but they don't really touch on that. If, if, if it's there, I agree that I thought that in a, in a normal Star Trek episode, that would be the reason for that. But I don't get the sense that the Zindi don't feel that the humans are ethical creatures. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that they, um, well, I thought it was all part of his thing where he's like, I never expected to, actually meet see yes, any see, of you like you know yes. it's it's uh it's see, seeing them in action and seeing them care for each other is a lot different than just learning about them you know sure 
I, th- I think you st- if that was the case, I think you could accomplish that by seeing crewmen being brought in from the outside and not actually going out to the out- exterior of the hull, you know, and then be like, yeah. I, I just. It's a long scene. It's, it's a long it's scene, long. and you know yeah. Reed's going to be fine, but he's just going to fake passing out for a little bit as they turn those knobs and then they have to, have to head back in. That's about it, though. I don't have anything else. Nothing else really happened. Um, Degra blows up the... We talk about that. Degra blows up the Zindi reptilians that find them and threaten to kill the council. I like that just because, while it also is the only way that they could do this that it makes sense, he has to make another decision, much like he did with the weapon initially in that scene. He has to make a decision that he does not want to do, which is Degra's mm-hmm. sort of theme, is that he has to make these uh, hard decisions that he doesn't <laughs> really want to have to make at that point, but he has no way back after he's done it. So You should see how long it takes him to choose pizza toppings. I know. Because he is there for an hour. <laughs> None of the Cheesecake Factory menus for Degra. <laughs> Anything else from you, or are we final thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, I think, I think I'm good. Let's take another break. We'll play another clip from the episode called The Forgotten. We'll come back, we'll read some patron thoughts, and give our final thoughts about The Forgotten. I envy you, Vulcans. You think that the loss of a colleague or friend doesn't affect us? It does. But if we give in to those emotions, they overwhelm us. You're the ones to be envied. (sighs) Thank you very much for listening today to the podcast. This was The Forgotten. Thank you very much to our supporters at patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you go there to patreon.com slash the Penske file, you can support us for a couple dollars a month. You get extra podcasts. You get extra uh, polls to decide what we talk about. There's a whole bunch of access to the Discord for the captains and stuff like that. And it feels good. It keeps the show running. If we get over $900 a month, we're doing Voyager all the way through. We're just about that. We're like $8.99 right now, so we're, yeah, we're hovering so dangerously early, close to it. Um, but that's another uh, perk to that. If you want full coverage of Voyager, it has to be over that goal for the entire time. And uh, that's about it. We did Battlestar recently. I'll put up the poll. Oh, it'll already be up by the time this comes out. So whatever comes out this month, we're a little bit ahead of the game. A special thank you to our Captain Tier supporters who are... Tark Latif, Samuel Custer, Joint Mango, Cal Barrett, Mike Burnett, Andrew Churlog, Matthew Ross, Michael Pond, Christian Pouch, Matt Cutler, Nick Sergi, Grim Santo, Sean, Cardinal Doomsday, Bradley Killens, Dwayne Hackett, Kevin Reyes, Vault 13 Hero, Jordan Cooper, Russell Elwich, Darth Mosk, HH28, Stephen Minton, Derek Zajac, Paul Roscoe, Jake123, Poindexter G, Patrick Seba, Dave Davies, from the Kinks, Johnny Franceschi, Captain Brazen, Eric Sanchuan, Jakey's Gamer, Kevin Lowry, Corey Martin, William Scheisler, Nick the Rat, Rayhan Jaffer, Grapple John Zorn, Soylent Blue, Zane Majors, Olivier Pardue, Retail, Par- uh, Tom Hickey, Jose Hunter's EWNF Remixes, Captain McMunchausen, Captain McMunchausen, James McLennan, Beal, Jonas, Loki, and Tommy Tango, Tuvix Must Die, and Chris McLaughlin. Thank you very much, everybody. Do, uh, do we want to tell everyone? Because I, I feel like I feel like I feel like I don't want to like if I knew Bigfoot was fake, like definitively, would I want to tell a a Bigfoot fan that Bigfoot was fake, you know? Right. Would you want to shatter dreams? Bring your heart yeah. your harsh reality in on things? I mean, I guess we may as well. Uh we have confirmation that Dave Davies is not actually Dave Davies from the kids. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was brutal brutal evidence that was yeah. presented to us it was i honestly i said this on twitter it was like it was like when i found out who killed laura palmer it's like wow <laughs> that just ruined the show for me i don't know if i can really get past this it's kind of the the, the driving engine is is gone now the podcast is going to end 10 years down the line we'll meet up at a bar somewhere just by happenstance and the kinks will come on and we'll, we'll just be back to square one Thank you very much, Patreon. That's not to say, that's not to say Dave Davies from the Kinks might not be a patron in the future because Correct. we know he likes Star Trek. And we've tagged him in these Twitter threads so often he yeah. might just feel like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Which I'm sure he loves. <laughs> or whoever's looking at it, running his Twitter account loves. Um, that's it. Thank you, patrons, for supporting us. Thank you very much for listening to everybody let's go to patient comments now if you leave comments uh, if you're at the five dollar and up level you can leave your comments on upcoming episodes we read them 
There's eight of them, I think, here. Matthew Ross says, The Forgotten. Do we need a recap back to Florida? The pause episode is most convincing when showing Tripp's anxiety and guilt over writing the bad news to a dead crew member's family and the stress of holding the ship together with duct tape, as well as his hatred of Degra. Excuse me. T'Pol's drug withdrawal and emotional addiction is another take on how Vulcans have or not have emotions and that the addiction is affecting her self-control. The Zindi quotient is a bit flat. Archer's proof is really thin. The Wolfman is correct. Why is Degra super quick to trust Archer? Ensign Seth MacFarlane, fix it right or draw cartoons, damn it. A sad, but for me, good episode. Three hull breaches out of five. Rayo says, The Forgotten, the smartest thing the writers could do was put Degra and Trip in the same room together so we actually get some substantial character conflict. Connor Trenier is finally unleashed to show his acting chops and quickly shows he's the best actor among the Enterprise cast. It's becoming clear to me on rewatch that Enterprise squandered Connor Trenier by having him act as the dumb and incompetent hick while putting the show's focus on Bakula. Archer's subplot of forging an alliance through technobabble evidence almost becomes an unwelcome intrusion, intrusion on the more interesting character work with Trip. Unfortunately, the dream sequence didn't really feel like a dream given how on the nose it was, but at least it was getting a very important point across instead of just wasting time. Five out of five. <laughs> I I did think it was really funny that it was so literal that he has to go, oh, I'm dreaming. <laughs> this is a dream. <clears throat> it's just, yeah, it's just should just end with him laying down on his bed and then it just cuts to him just waking up from his bed. And it's like, oh, that's, that's it. Or they should have gone the other way and be like, this is a dream, which means I can fly. <laughs> and then he just floats off. <laughs> it's the um we talked about it before but I, I always think of a virtuosity when sid 2.0 or whatever realizes that he's back in the virtual reality world he's like you're in my world now parker and just the universe <laughs> starts bending in on everybody i think that's what i would have appreciated um latte librarian says the forgotten trip storyline is the best one in the episode as he deals with the grief over losing his sister his shipmates and the ordeal of being asked to be nice to the guy who built the zindi weapon glad it doesn't look like we're going to have a running addiction story for t'pol despite the zindi story coming to a head i'm struggling to care about it i'm giving this a four out of five but i wonder if it's enterprise specific is this a four or a three for ds9 mm. kyle barris says the forgotten i think of this episode i think of this is episode three of the Zindi Arc Reclamation Project, in which the writers are rectifying the flaws of the storyline so far. First, the events of Carpenter Street were turned into a legitimate plot point. Then T'Pol's questionable Vulcan behavior was explained, and now Trip's sister's forgotten death is being examined. The Degra scenes are repetitive, and the big green fire flume is unnecessary, other than to show that Malcolm is desperate to kill himself while outside the ship. But otherwise, this is a good episode. A belated character study for Tripp and Connor Trenier proves himself the best actor in the show. It's interesting to see Seth MacFarlane's cameo in proper Star Trek before creating and starring the Orville, <laughs> the television equivalent of MacFarlane filming himself putting on a cheap cosplay uniform <laughs> costume, whipping his cock out, wanking for 45 minutes, finishing on the camera lens, and then expecting us to thank him for it as the credits roll. 3.9 out of 5. Oof. <laughs> you say 3.9? 3.9 out of 5. 3.9. Point X to G says the forgotten. Yikes. They seem to want to make Degra out as a Robert, Robert, Robert Oppenheimer type figure, someone who did what they thought was necessary, but also very torn about what he created. It still seems a very sudden jump from, the, from that to siding with the enemy he was creating the weapon to be used against. It seems even more sudden for Sloth Guy, who never showed any notion of ever believing Archer. The other major plot line, Tripp's entire arc this season culminating at the end of the episode, is very well done. From a production standpoint, I'm still extremely impressed with how they've managed to continue to show Enterprise's extreme damage. I will say that. I didn't mention that in the last episode, damage. The production design on the ship at this point is really good, I think. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's very it's very convincing. Yeah. While also not, they're not really going overboard. Like, I, I noticed, I forget, I think it was... Uh, Whatever room is the one that has the drawings of the ships on the wall mm -hmm. is I don't know if that's the ready room or whatever the hell it is. Um, They're like little conference that, room where they they yeah, stand around that yeah. table. Yeah, I noticed that the way that they made it look busted up was they just had like a foreground beam yeah. that they like wrapped a wire around <laughs> yeah. and kind of dangled from it, and it reads completely as though it's like, oh, this is a busted ship. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, I, I think that they, they Lavar Burton again. We didn't even talk about that really. It's uh, he's, he's a good director. Yeah, I'd have to look up his um his list. I feel that he's he's not a camera work director, but I I feel that he does a lot of character stuff, mm. and it comes off really good. I feel that his episodes are really like character work ones, and they work well. It's not like um 
Roxanne Dawson, I always notice her camera work. Like she does things mm. with the camera that the show never does. LeVar Burton doesn't really. He's very stationary, but he's good with the, the he's an actor's director, I guess would be the takeaway from that. This this is going to um, date the podcast, but uh, do you think he's going to get the Jeopardy gig? No. No. I don't think he's name enough to do it. Yeah. I don't know. Do you want a name? I don't know. That's a tough one. I feel like that could go either way because I don't know if I don't think like Alex Trebek was a name when he took over. No, Jeopardy. but I think that now in the age of like trying to make this a big splash event to get people to continue watching Jeopardy. I, yeah, maybe maybe Jeopardy's concept is strong enough where you could have anybody in there doing it and it's going to be fine. I I feel like LeVar Burton has enough of a. Like, it feels like the cozy choice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I, I, it feels like a cozy enough choice that it's not insulting to the memory of of uh, Trebek. Alex Trebek by by hiring, like, you know, uh, I don't know, Nicolas Cage or something. Yeah. It's <laughs> like some sort of... It's not like Brian Williams is taking over Jeopardy or right. something. LeVar Burton feels like a, a cozy, comfortable, not just, safe choice that everyone could go, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, that, all right. That's, that's true. You might have convinced me. He's not going to overshadow Trebek. He's a celebrity, but he's not a right. celebrity celebrity. Right, um, right. That's true. I would like it. I don't think there's any... I don't think there's a reason he can't do it. Um, is he... Well, I guess I was going to say is he as witty as Trebek. I don't know if Trebek was particularly witty either. Maybe you don't need that. Um, Trebek was witty like a guy who who had been working a job for a very yeah, long time. Yeah, he knew all the answers to any, anything a contestant was going to say. He's like, I've heard this 17,000 times, and I'm going to know yeah. exactly what to say back to you. Uh, thank you, Poindexter G. Next comment is <gasps> Nick Sergi says, uh, I love this episode. Everything about it. It feels really, really focused on the drama and the characters and the furthering of the Zindi arc. Degra and the other Zindi werewolf dude, Jannar. I love how Jannar was so dismissive. He just folds his arms at everything, no matter how incredible it might be. The highlight of the episode was watching Trip break down. Trainier killed it here, and really the scene was a bonding between him and T'Pol that just worked. I love the line about how he envied Vulcans. Her response is great, how humans should be envied. To me, this is how you write good Trek, because it remains in keeping with the history of the franchise, but adds something new and personal to the lore. A perfect episode, or at least pretty close. Five dismissive Zindi out of five. You know, the werewolf guy, I did, I forgot to mention, <clears throat> I really noticed in this episode how impressive his performance is even more, because he, can, he has perfect diction through a ridiculous set of teeth. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> He's got like these big buck beaver teeth in that mask and he's just like he doesn't have that like cling cling on thing yeah. where they have the teeth in so it kind of slurs your speech but he doesn't have any of that it's just it's perfect he's a man who can project he's those have a lot of close-ups on them they have extensive makeup work for those guys yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Colonel Doomsday says the forgotten Archer manages to talk Degra and Jannar into believing his claims about the sphere builders reshaping the galaxy for their exclusive use. Trip has trouble writing a letter to the parents of a dead crew member who we never have seen or heard before. Sea Voyager season 618, Ashes to Ashes, and Babylon 5 season 5, season, uh, episode 8. This time it's Trip who gets annoyed at the Zindi, and Malcolm Reed still has a death wish when working outside the ship. How are the humans in Zindi even able to understand each other? Three ruptured EPS conduits out of five. Cook. No one asked me to write a letter, <laughs> and all I did on Enterprise during the Zindi War was write, because we were off screen for most of it. That's, that's, the, good, that's the good thing in Beyond in that final sequence where he's yelling at Balthazar, talking to Kirk. He should just pull out a handful of letters and just throw them at Kirk's chest. <laughs> Look at these, these letters I've written. I wrote a letter to that engineer's parents. <laughs> And Archer didn't like it. <laughs> they didn't write back. What's the protocol here? <laughs> he said there were too many Seinfeld references. <laughs> Rand Jeffers says, The Forgotten, kind of a strange choice to have a rom-com episode in the final stretch of the Zindi arc, but sure, okay. This episode where a woman from Archer's past shows up in a shuttlecraft with a supposed half-Zindi son raises suspicions immediately, and Daniel's appearing and claiming he introduced them raises even more questions than it answers. How would the timelines even work? Surely Archer mating with a primate rather than an arboreal Zindi would make more sense. Two creepy Archer bastard children out of five. I'm sorry. I think I blacked out halfway <laughs> through that. What? <laughs> that's, a little, that's a Discord joke right there. Um, from uh, Rahan Jaffer. 
Uh, so if you guys want to be in on the joke about what he just did, you can join the Discord. and You can, you can join the Discord and scroll back through hundreds of messages go, until you figure out what the hell you just go heard. Go back three weeks and look for Ray J on the Discord. Um, thank you very much, everybody, for the comments. Much appreciated. Thank you for supporting the show. Clay, what are we going to give this one? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to give it a 4. Um I I I I didn't I thought it was great, but I didn't really think it kicked into high gear until like the second half mm-hmm. cuz that's when they really start getting into the character stuff. I think maybe the green mist stuff might be like the 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 dividing line sure. cuz everything before that is a lot of yelling about the future and you know, it's it, that stuff kind of is taking precedence over the goods, the good trip stuff. But then at a certain point, they just push all that stuff to the side, and it's just about trip, just about Degra, just about that collision, and that stuff is really, really good. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a four. I think it's a close. This is definitely, like I said, I think this is probably my favorite episode of the season. Yeah. Um, but I don't quite think it's a five. Yeah, that's fair. I'm also going to give it a four uh, because it continues my thing of I have not given a five yet to Enterprise, but I think this is one of the best episodes of Enterprise that they've done so far. So you're just one of those teachers that never gives an A plus just out of principle. Yeah, you gotta that just screws up the bell curve or whatever. You just got you got to start people down realistically. I this is like a top three Enterprise episode to me, and it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I like when those totally, episodes yeah. do that. I like when. The little blurb that I read on Netflix, I'm like, all right, this is a three right here. And then you come through and you're like, oh, my God, that was actually much better. I feel like DS9 did that a lot, and it was always nice. Like um, Children of Time and Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night were always like, what the hell was that episode? That came out of nowhere, and that was really good. Yeah. Um, the problem that keeps this from a five is the Archer stuff is just functional. It's not exemplary where I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, man, both of these storylines are just cooking with fire right now. And this is like a perfect episode. The Archer stuff is fine, but it's a little bit bland. Um, there's weird scenes like going out to fix the flume. Uh, to Paul's drug addiction is still playing into this, which is going to affect things. So it's like this is as good as Enterprise has ever gotten, I think. But it's just the the aspect of the show that it's never given us a five in my opinion so far it's never it's never given us an episode and we're like wow that's a top star trek episode but this is if um if the middle if they just did a season of this kind of stuff which is not outrageous to ask you know if, if yeah, every other yeah. episode was something along these lines we'd be like wow this is a much better season than season two and one this is like mm-hmm. the show finding its feet this is a show doing things but it's still a rare event when they do it, but it's it's happy when it comes across. The uh, the one last thing I wanted to mention is I the the tiny thing that bugs me. I don't know if "bug" is the right word, but you know I have I have this weird, you know, slightly OCD thing storytelling wise about like I don't like unnecessary movement a lot, and um, when actors are just talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like I mean like like physical location movement in like a yeah. story where it's like if you're going to New Michael York Michael J. Fox you, is Clay's least favorite actor <laughs> yeah <laughs> ouch <laughs> you know if you're, if you're flying cross country at a certain point in the story I don't, I, I don't want you flying back right and then go, you know what can't I mean can't say that you forgot thing. your keys and have to fly back to your house and then yeah. get back over yeah. unless that specifically is part of the plot I guess but my point is um, it feels a bit to me like like they, it feels like they are in the climax of the story at this point yes. or they should be but it feels like they've got two episodes worth of material and they have to figure out how to get to four so it's kind of weird to me that they are jump they're like okay well last episode ends with we have to fly to secret location to meet degra yeah this episode ends with we have to fly to another location so we can talk to the Zindi Council. You know, I, know. I, I even think it's worse than that because what they do here is Degra's like, I'll meet you in three days, and you have to go through this nebula where <laughs> yeah, there's there's like, bad, watch out. there's two episodes <laughs> worth of shit in this nebula that you're gonna yeah. have to get from. Watch out, there's uh, <laughs> nebula pirates that might become an issue. I don't think they shouldn't, but they might. <laughs> 
that was the worst. It was like it was really like yeah. Oh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna put a couple it, filler episodes in here to get to this point, aren't they? If it felt a little bit like a video game, mm. so, like you know, you hit that point in the story mission. It's like okay, meet me here in three days, but you have to travel through this thing, and it's like okay, well, in that thing are three other side missions yeah. you're gonna do. Yeah, like like it feels weird that they're leaving the weapon because the whole season's been get to the weapon. Sure. Um, and now they're just flying to the Zindi planet to talk to the the town town hall meeting, I yeah, guess. But uh, meet the council. Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see how it we'll see how it plays out. But it feels a little bit weird to to keep moving around like that. But we'll yeah. see. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. We both gave it fours. It's the forgotten. I enjoyed that one quite a bit. Thank you, everybody, for the patrons for leaving the comments. Thank you for supporting the show. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back with. E squared is the next episode, and there's only four left, I think, at this point. E squared, including. And then we're done with season three of Enterprise. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, thanks for checking out Rotten Horror Picture Show. The most recent episodes we have is Audition, the Japanese uh, horror movie that's set up that many point to as the inciting incident of the torture porn horror subgenre of the 2000s. Uh, and then after that, we've got Quiet Place 2, our first modern movie we actually saw in the theater so that's gonna be fun uh badass is up and going and we should in july we will have part seven of our patreon coverage of friday the 13th where amanda and i are going through all the friday the 13th movies we have passed the halfway point jason is now an undead monster Mm -hmm. and kane hodder is about to enter the chat took a lot longer than i realized for jason to be a zombie at that point, going yeah, forward. yeah, it's yeah. you know we we kind of uh, we we talked about it a bit in part four um, about how part four is real. It's called the final fraud, you know, uh, the final chapter, and it kind of is because every, parts one through four all kind of have the same kind of vibe to a certain extent, and after part four is when things just kind of start like the the core formula is there but they're really kind of just veering off yeah they got to find the story new avenues yeah, to tell the same story it's not about you know uh, uh mrs Voorhees and stuff anymore now it's jason's a zombie come back from the dead <laughs> and part seven he fights a girl who has telekinetic powers which sure. i'm super excited about nice and eight he goes to new york and nine <laughs> he gets blown up you know it's <laughs> so it's like it really is it's kind of like a different series even though it's all the same story so yeah yeah Cool. Check that out. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. All the shows are at the Badass, real uh, run horror, and then Penske podcast for this one. And you can find it all on YouTube too. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with E squared. See ya.